We are on a mission. A mission to save and revitalize independent pharmacy. On the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast, you'll get actionable business advice. Hear stories from industry leaders. And share a laugh or two with us. Fuel your passion for pharmacy. One conversation at a time. Four. Three. Two. One. Ignition. Welcome to the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Bivens, VP of Sales at Pioneer X. And today I'm here with Josh. Hi, I'm Josh Allen, Senior Vice President of Clinical Strategy and Software Development at Pioneer. Today we're here with Ed Hudon, owner of Medicine Shop Pharmacy in Boyertown, Pennsylvania, also a CPSN luminary in Pennsylvania. (laughs) How are you doing, Josh? Doing well. How are you? I'm good. All right. As an aside, is this a new cup? You tell me. I think so. I like the white better. It feels crisp. It feels crisp. I don't know. I feel left out. <laughs> I know, right? Did you not get one? Did they not get like cup swag? Oh man. Oh, that right. that's a miss. We got to get man, some cup swag. No kidding. That would be nice. Sorry, we failed you. Yeah. Sorry, we failed you. Ed. But I mean, make it the white one because it's crisp. Because it's crisp. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> it's crisp. It, that that was the. Best descriptor. Okay. All right. I don't know. I think you got a couple of cool stories to tell already from looking from the research we've done. So I think this is going to be fun. My wife and I um, are where we are because of watching the podcast. So awesome. What? Well, we'll record that and loop it over. No kidding. That's not because of, yeah, it's because of you and no, Jeff, that, that's, all the smart that's people in the room. <laughs> I know you kind of, I know you own the medicine shop there in Boyertown, Pennsylvania. Um, you co own it with your wife, Terry. That's right. How'd you guys? Twenty-seven how, years. Yeah. Before we get into like, I, I know you guys have a really kind of a cool story around COVID vaccines and how you guys got started doing the amount you guys are doing now. But before that, how'd you guys get started into uh, owning and 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 grabbing the entrepreneurial bull by the horns um, with the medicine shop? My wife and I wanted to care for our our community in a way that we didn't think we could do within um, a chain atmosphere. So, I mean, I could be a great pharmacist in a chain, uh-huh. but I thought I could give more. My wife thought she could give more if we did it in a way that was what we saw healthcare and um, being part of the community and being part of our patients' lives. Um, so we decided very early on to um, save up, invest, and open a medicine shop. Um, and it's been 27 years, uh, ups and downs, um, just the climate of yeah. a pharmacy and, and what it's all about right now. So you guys both came, did you guys both come out of the chains? Is your wife a pharmacist as well? Yes. Yeah. We actually own two medicine shops and then we merged them together Okay. Um, because our family was young. Um, so it gave us the opportunity to do and be with our kids a lot more and have a little bit more flexibility. Um, you know, so, you know, we both tag teamed the kids and the, the business and, hmm. you know, 27 years later, um, you know, like I said, a lot of ups and downs. Um, but, you know, over the last couple of years, it's really been on the upswing since, tell you the truth, since Pioneer RX, CPSN, and a bunch cool. of other things. So, you know, I'm pretty excited to talk about all that journey. Cool. So did you guys buy two at first and then merge it into one? We bought two. Um, my wife 
during our grand opening of her store, found out she was pregnant with our first child. Oh. Um, so our kids have been part of our pharmacy <laughs> uh, for 24 years, unfortunately. I mean, they are not ever going to be stepping foot in a pharmacy in a, in a pharmacist capacity, that's for sure. Oh, they're not. Um, okay. No, no. So um, having said that, though, after our third child, we, we merged both stores together um, into the location in Boyertown. Wow. Yeah, that's a, that's a journey. So, I mean, before we even get into like everything with CPSN, what, how has it changed, you know, from 2020s? I mean, that kind of leads into what we're talking about, but like, how's, how, what's, what's some of the big things for you that's changed? Well, I, as a pharmacist, you know, I started in pharmacy when I was like 15, 16 years old, working for a, a small town pharmacy, great customer care, taught me everything I need to know about taking care of my patients, mean as hell. Um, so he drove a lot home and it was difficult. It was hard working for him, but, um, he taught me a lot about patient care. Um, you know, my pa- my wife and I both love our, our patients. Um, and we were able to do that in the very beginning because the payment models didn't include DIR fees. Right. Um, they, so you were able to take that money and invest it back into, services and things that you want to do for your community, whether it be big or small. Then Medicare Part D came along, DIR fees came along, clawbacks came along, and all those services that you want to start providing and giving still, you're being nickel dime so much that giving back to the community is almost difficult. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're trying to do so much more with so much little, um, you know, shrinking staff because of payroll, you know, costs. And, you know, it's, it was, that juncture really was difficult because we wanted to keep on giving the services and we want to still keep on giving care, but it takes revenue to reinvest back into the community. Amen. Um, speaking of like kind of leading into that then. Um, so for people who don't know that's listening, um, Ed is also one of the main luminaries there in CPSN uh, in Pennsylvania with the Pennsylvania pharmacist care network with PPCN. Um, that's what some people know it by. Um, so how did you get, how did you start that journey? How did you get in there? So I'm always backwards. Um, <laughs> I was Googling how to improve workflow. Okay. Um, found Flip the Pharmacy. And I'm like, wow, this is really cool. You know, it's all the things that I do, but it kind of refines it. Pioneer RX has the tools for me to, you know, document a lot of these things. So I was using them on my own. Um, then I, it, parlayed that to a conversation with CPSN, which brought me full circle to PPCN. So, you know, during the time of clawbacks and DARs, I put my head in the sand and just very myopic, you know, my business, my little territory, very worried about competition, just taking care of what I could. And I didn't have a voice. I didn't talk um, to, you know, local officials. I didn't really communicate to uh, Pennsylvania Pharmacy, you know, Association. I didn't know about PPCN. Um, so CPSN then led me back to PPCN and Stephanie McGrath and right. Kristen Hartzell. Yep. And they're like, you know what? Let's put an application in for Flip the Pharmacy. So I did that. And then we started talking more about my journey and my, my lack of putting myself out there. Um, and as they gave me more tools, I felt more comfortable and more confident and able to voice, you know, concerns because I, I look at it this way and, you know, I'll credit Vicki Elliott for um, saying this. 
you know, we want to pay it forward. So yeah. in order to pay it forward, though, in pharmacy, we need to we need to be able to advocate for our profession. I need to advocate for myself in the pharmacy so I can give back to my community. And as they give back to me, I'm able to cycle that. Um, so, you know, I think Stephanie saw me as I'm 54 years old. There's a lot of other pharmacies out there that are feeling the same angst that I am, the same clawbacks, their head is in the sand, oh. unwilling to really want to move forward and drive our profession to, to a different place, a place where maybe we're getting reimbursed for services and not the prescriptions, using the prescriptions for just data so that we can do more of the fun things that we love to do. Um, you know, and that's after a short period of time, she asked me to be a luminary and you know, I sometimes wondered what I had to give. Um, and I think my story is just that. I think, you know, getting people in my, in my part of my life, um, right. maybe other pharmacies feeling the same thing, something um, to look forward to and, you know, invest in maybe ourselves so we can invest in our community. Because we can't do it if we don't invest in ourselves and believe in ourselves. I mean, in PPCN... I think there's like 2,000 independent pharmacies in Pennsylvania. Right. Only less than 10% are part of PPCN. That's a staggeringly low number. Imagine if we got up to like 25%. What we could prove to the Department of Health and what we could prove to, you know, Pennsylvania Pharmacy Association. And, you know, I think it would be magnificent to see our numbers climb because if we're f practicing pharmacy the right way, we have a lot to show. And the spotlights are all on us right now with COVID. I think I've been on this podcast too. They've heard that same message where a lot of times you just don't know where to start too. You start with your strengths and then you, you hone those skills. Mm -hmm. But like every Saturday I check sync. Right? I come in, okay. start the day really early in the morning and I put your podcast on. Okay. So that's connecting me to like the Aminas of the mm -hmm. world. Right. And the Hoeys of the world and you guys. So I'm always gathering all these little bits of information on how to streamline, how to be more efficient, how to make things better. I'm not perfect. And I'm going to tell you, it's a work in progress. And sometimes I drive my staff crazy. And that's one thing I have to say. Communication with your staff is key. Sometimes I throw things out there and, you know, I really have to be better at that. I'm great communicating to my patients, but my staff has to be invested and on board. You know, knowing your weaknesses is just as important as knowing your strengths. Right. Well, and one of the things I think is really nice and from, you know, talking to you previously as well, and just from things you've said so far, like part of it's having the self-awareness to be like, I don't know, right? Instead of coming through and saying, well, I had my head in my sand. That's partially true, but you're kind of not giving yourself the credit for saying, hey, there has to be a better way to do this and asking for help and asking for people. You know, that sounds like you're maybe not confident, but there's a lot of confidence that goes behind, Hey, I'm stuck. What do I do? That that's exactly right. So when you're, when you're sitting there, like what kind of gave you that push of like, all right, well, I need to do something different. I was struggling on, like I said, workflow and I just mm -hmm. needed to make sure I was giving the same care to my patients. I mean, this is pre COVID. Um, and Stephanie McGrath and PPCN, and you guys just gave me those tools to really just be confident in what I was doing on a daily basis. Okay. But then COVID erupted and the state closed down. Mm. And here I am at four o'clock in the morning, rolling into the pharmacy, bringing a pioneer, 
generating reports and making calls. We got every one of my patients called by the close of day. They had prescriptions for a month out. We had our delivery drivers out there. Everybody was taken care of. I closed the door and I felt good because I knew my patients had what they needed because we didn't know what was going to happen. Um, so at that moment, though, I, you know, I start looking towards what's going to be happening going forward. And the doctor's offices were closing. Yeah. My patients didn't want to go to the hospitals or ERs or urgent cares. So I got a hold of each one of the doctors that practice in the area and we were texting back and forth. We were taking blood pressures. We were taking weights. We were assessing and triaging so that they could communicate back to us so that our, their patients didn't miss a beat. But this is putting up a light bulb like, you know, what we do so much differently. We can move and navigate so much easier than the chains that have to go through yeah. a hierarchy. So uh, am I happy filling prescriptions? Well, it's a means to an end. But then I was like, we do so much more. We need to, we really just need to keep on pushing forward. Um, fast forward a little bit and COVID vaccines come out and Berks County gets left behind. All the other counties in the area are getting vaccinated. And um, Kristen Hartzell, who's my, um, you know, my mentor for uh, Flip the Pharmacy, sent me an article. Hey, Commissioner Leinbach said, you know, pharmacists can only do 20 vaccinations a day. I'm like, okay, well, you're right. Maybe in a day, that's all I could do. But I'm going to see if I get a hold of him. So I made a few phone calls and okay. I got a meeting with him maybe within, I think it was like 45 minutes. Wow. Wow. All right. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, what, what I had though in my back pocket was we did a, um, we did a presentation about how we would utilize the churches and other, um, other organizations in the community to have a call center for the seniors. Okay. So we had mapped out who the call centers were, the 1-800 numbers, how it was going to look and how it would translate to a, an event. And I, when I called Commissioner Leinbach, I said, you are absolutely right. In my day, I probably 20, 30 vaccinations. He's like, oh, really? I thought you were going to be upset at me. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not upset at you because you are right. But what you don't know is me as a pharmacist in my community with my wife, who's also a pharmacist, we can know, we know we can roll out more. I bet you we could roll out 3,500 in a, in a Sunday. Oh, wow. He's like, well, how, how do you know that? I'm like, because I know my community. I know my resources. I've already communicated with my, the local school district. We have a place, we have the volunteers, and with the means of registering all the seniors that don't have technology. Is that kind of what your call center part is about? That, 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 hey, I can't navigate a website very well. I don't even have the technology to do it. That, give that me was a, it. Give me a place to call so that they can walk through it and you guys can talk them through it. No, they, we actually did the registering. Okay, we cool. actually did the consent yeah. forms online. We registered for home visits. We did it all that way. Um, you know, so I, he asked me to send the PowerPoint presentation to him. I sent it and he had a meeting with governor Wolf, I think, uh, at noon that day. So I didn't hear back, but the next day I was at a, a COVID event doing whatever vaccinations I did have for uh, personal care. And I opened up PA sys portal and I'm like, Oh, I got a thousand doses. Like, <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm like, maybe, maybe that's for just, you know, my second doses that next week I got 2000 and the week after that I got 3,500. Wow. All right. So on a Sunday we were able to do 3,500. 
Wow. And that's largely due to, you know, the registration on the front end, but also navigating Pioneer on the back end. So, you know, I was talking to Stephanie about this the other day. You know, when my wife and I are immunizing, we're there in the trenches. But what people don't realize is that you guys there, Stephanie McGrath in Pittsburgh, Kristen Hartzell in, you know, Lehigh County, you guys are all impacting my community here. You guys are impacting the health of my patients. So us talking and having conversations, it just benefits us nationally and globally if we sure. just learn to like respect what we, we have to offer. Um, I've learned so much from so many different people now that it's, 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 it's rewarding and it's exciting. Um, I don't, we, none of us have it all carved out. Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, it's funny. We've talked to, you know, probably 20 different pharmacists now that have their own flavor of how they conquered the, the COVID vaccination pieces in their communities. And they're all a little bit different. They all have that same kind of thread of like, man, we'll just figure it out. Um, and there's, there's some kind of elegance to that where you're like, you all solved the same problem in different ways, but you know, the common thread of like, I reached out, I asked for help. I talked to people, I reached out to my community. You know, this whole thing just showed how important it is to a, just be a part of a community and have people that you can rely on for those kind of situations. Well, I think it's the art of conversation, listening as well as the talking. Sometimes we're missing the nuances of the language and then we miss out on the bigger conversation. Um, same way, way when we come, you know, consult a, a patient. If we're not going to talk to them in their language, they're, they're going to miss it. So when I'm talking to my peers, you know, I take the same flavor. I, you know, we all have the same struggles. We all have the DIR fees and we all have the same, you know, issues. But, um, you know, if we learn to just talk and understand that we're not competing for each other, we all want to, we want each other to succeed. So one, first of all, I'm impressed you had a PowerPoint ready to even click send in the email already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so one, that was, that was smart. So you got off the phone. Did you hear back from, from, from the commissioner about uh, after going, Hey, this is why you got so many doses. What, what was that story? What was that conversation like after you heard back? We still talk and he, and we don't have a, um, a County health center uh, in Berks County. So okay. we use emergency services. So he and Brian, you know, we would have weekly calls on, you know, vaccination efforts and, uh, vaccine hesitancy because it's so prevalent in Berks County even still. Okay. Um, you know, and he wants to know how I'm conquering vaccine hesitancy. And I think it's, we're not shaming anybody when they come in and want to talk to us. Sure. You know, we just talk to them about the facts and making sure that they're aware not to go to social media, you know, rely on your health professionals, you know, don't go to, um, you know, even news is kind of piecemealed information. You need to, you know, trust that we are wanting the best for our our community, and that you know the information that's given to us that we're giving it to them in a way that they could absorb and and take, and making sure it's not political. I mean, yeah. And you know, if somebody tells me I'm pulling out chips, I couldn't have pulled out fifty five thousand chips prior to an event. I just, you know, <laughs> you know, if I sat there, I'd be, I don't even know, I don't, I wouldn't be on this podcast right now. Hey, my my five G reception has gone. I know. I really, really I well. feel like my cell signal is so much better now. <laughs> I wish that were true, actually. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, not yeah. to not to downplay it, but I'm kidding. I'm I kidding. really not to like joke about it. Five G is really not as fast as it was promised. It really isn't. That's what's bummer. But anyway, um, 
<laughs> so and the last time I was talking to you, you said you'd done something really cool, um, kind of taking all of your, your COVID vaccine lessons learned. Um, you reinvested a lot of that and hired a fellow, um, I guess, a pharmacy fellow to kind of really build out your clinical services. Um, how's right. that so going? we have some exciting things going on right now with that. What What are those? So through CPSN, I engaged into the Engage DR program. Now, it was really slow me getting through the process because of all of our vaccination efforts. But, um, you know, through the vaccination efforts, I have a lot of contacts now. Um, one of which is an FQHC, a federally qualified health center. Okay. Um, so we were just offered a pilot program with them to do our clinical services, which Amina uh, from the Avant Institute is mm -hmm. going to be helping us um, map out um, that program. So we'll be helping them with their annual wellness visits, chronic care management, um, remote physiologic monitoring. So, I mean, I'm really excited. What's even nicer is that the Department of Health is actually looking at this to see how we can show the CDC the importance of pharmacy integrated with the doctors and how we can get better outcomes from our patients if we work collaboratively, um, which is everything that my wife and I have wanted. I mean, we, we want to drive away from the, the dispensing model to, to what we truly are capable of doing. Um, you know, with this, you know, it all started with actually her wanting me to um, become her 340B uh, provider, right? Um, which I parlayed to a conversation with her about doing this this pilot program. Um, so we just had our, our meeting last week. Um, I think she came with more questions and more asks than I had originally anticipated. I mean, I didn't even realize that remote physiologic monitoring was something that she wanted to jump into right away with us. Um, but she sees the merit of pharmacy and how we could actually give a different layer of of um, of healthcare in a doctor's office, you know, giving those uh, medication um, reconciliations a little bit more meaning and translating that to chronic care management and a different paying model for them, which would help, you know, give us a sustainable model for us to be part of their program. Um, you know, they're going to be introducing us to their doctor's office next month um, and letting them know that, you know, we're going to work collaboratively to, you know, give the doctor more time to do what they need to do while we do what we're experts in. Right. I, I really like those, those types of areas where you're moving into places where pharmacists are really, really well-trained. You know, I, I always see like, you know, some areas pushing for pharmacists with prescriptive authority. And I'm like, I didn't go to school to diagnose people, right? Like that's just not part of my wheelhouse, but med management, managing diabetes and allergies mm -hmm. and health conditions that yeah. are really based on chronic medication use that's where you want to deploy a pharmacist and those types of things fit really, really well with that. Well, you think of an annual wellness visit and a doctor plops on you, you know, Hey, I want you to accomplish these things over the next year. Mm -hmm. Well, month by the end of month one, you've forgotten probably three quarters of what they've said. Right. But a pharmacist touching on those, those measures monthly, sometimes right. weekly to get to those therapeutic outcomes, you know, that's something that is very unique. So, you know, hey, I want you to lose 50 pounds over this next year. Well, that's unsurmountable. But hey, if a pharmacist can chunk that up to, you know, five pounds the first month, then let's conquer that. And, you know, we need to get those those hurdles met and reward yourself so you want to get to the next hurdle. 
Um, mm-hmm. Or you're just, you bury your head and you just walk away from it. Right. So that was, that was always one of my biggest knocks with like regular part D MTM, which is, you know, yeah. you do your MTM or your comprehensive med review in October because that's when it's due, but it's meaningless if it's time-based. You have to do it while those things are meaningful and being able to brought that up into monthly reviews or, you know, even sometimes twice a month check-ins with patients is way more effective than random once a year. Well, it's about having buy-in from your patient too. Mm-hmm. So your patient needs to want to be part of it. And I think redefining pharmacy has been kind of a cool thing. So at the beginning of COVID also, you know, we were doing um, anxiety and depression um, questionnaires. I mean, it's part of pioneers. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't just use them for for people that CPSN gave me. I was rolling that out to almost everybody because I kind of saw at the beginning that COVID was going to mess with us mentally and not just physically. Yeah, and it's been a toll. Right. But what was really cool about it was that those conversations from those assessments redefined pharmacy without having to give them a definition of what pharmacy is all about. Because they're looking at me like, why are you asking this? I'm like, this is why. We're having a conversation because you're part of my community, you're my patient, and we want to be on the same page as we go through this. So now conversations, when they come back to me, are a lot more meaningful. Um, isn't it just about Ed is filling my prescription that the doctor sent over and making sure it's accurate? It's Ed filling a prescription, making sure it's accurate, but he's also watching other things. Not necessarily that are related to a blood pressure medication, but me holistically. Can you give me a for instance? Give me an example. I had a patient that we, um, she was a cancer patient, um, severe pain, and her medications didn't really, they didn't warrant the medication regimen that she was on. So I called the oncologist and a family doctor. We got medications changed. Um, I think it was amitriptyline to Cymbalta. Uh, we tweaked some of her other medications. When we did the assessment, her she was just non-communicative. Um, dementia seemed to be going from mild to like more on the more severe side. Um, her daughter was having a hard time communicating with her and taking care of her. We made those minor adjustments, changed some times of day that she was taking her medication. She's then sleeping better. The Cymbalta was managing her medications better. She was taking less of her opioids. Um, within about two weeks, her daughter was like, mom is talking. She's more active in her own health care and taking care of herself. She could actually have a conversation, an enjoyable conversation, and she's interested in, in communicating with friends. Um, but it took the two of them coming in. We did the assessment. We did the questionnaire. Daughter's looking at me like, why, why are we doing this? I'm like, because we want to put the pieces together. This is part of the pieces of the puzzle. So we're, we're looking at the assessment. We're looking at her medications, where she was, looking at her quality of life measures. I mean, I don't think we look at those enough. I mean, my quality of life measures are different than the both of yours, and it's different than my neighbor's. Sometimes you miss those, and you know, we're pushing what our quality of life is on somebody, and you know, it doesn't marry what we really want. Um, but since then it's her and her family and her family's family now are like, 
you know, they know when they come to me, it's different. It's a different experience. Nice. That's, that's great. You know, and, and it's funny when you, some of those times when you get those kind of questions, I remember like five or I guess it's about six years ago when my mom was in the hospital, um, she had pancreatic cancer and they were just giving her a lot of morphine and she would call me at like two in the morning and say like, they're coming to get me. And I was like, what? So I, I went down and I asked the doctor, I was like, Hey, can I just see her, her med chart? And they showed it to me and I was like, dude, can we switch from morphine to hydromorphone? We can go with a lower dose, swapped it out. It was like instantly different. And they were like, I didn't even think about that. You know, just those things where you're looking at like, I know my mom, she's not a paranoid person. These are things that I notice because I know her. And those are things that you're going to notice because you know your patients and you see them once a month, sometimes more. And you know, that's not what they're supposed to be like. No, you know, because you see them daily. So I have, when I have pharmacy students coming through, I learned so much from them clinically. I love it when I get a student because I like, I get all this cutting edge, new stuff coming my way. It's great. But the problem is they don't know how to use that, that great wealth of knowledge. So what I work on is how are they going to translate that to a patient? You just can't talk to them about facts. You need to get in their head. So Coumadin, for one, for instance, I was, you know, telling her, okay, when we're counseling, we want to make sure that we can, you know, that they're good about taking it at the same time every day and, you know, compliance and adherence. And so she, they're having a conversation and he was like missing the point of like how we're going to make sure he takes this medication regularly. And like, so I came over, I'm like, what's the last thing you do at night? It's like, well, I put my glasses down on the, on the table in the kitchen. You're going to put your Coumadin there. Every time you tilt your glasses down, you're going to take your Coumadin. That's how you're going to know you're going to take your medication every night. And we talked to the student afterwards. I'm like, it's, you don't have to overcomplicate things. Make it easy for them. Get into their head, see what their life is about. So you could give them that information in a chunk that means something to them. You know, and then you're going to get better outcomes. And they're going to rely on you and trust you because you're listening to those little, those little tidbits. Um, and it can be something small like that or something bigger like the morphine to the, the hydromorphone. Like you said, the art of conversation. It is. You know, and I was afraid to have those conversations before, at least on, you know, a level with like Commissioner Leinbach. You know, up until mm. then, I wouldn't have said anything. I would okay. have just sat there. Um, you know, we had Senator Muth at our, one of our COVID clinics. I said, I am so happy that you're here, but can we talk? You need to know more about PBM reform and oh, DIR fees. Oh, that's good. So a 15-minute conversation turned into about an hour conversation with her. She really wanted to learn more about how it impacts us and how it impacts the patient because, no, it doesn't positively impact the patient. It's taking funds away from us that we can give back to our community and, and our patients in a very negative way. And she's looking at that like, yeah, you're kind of right. You know, I'm at, what is it, top 5% of my peers, five-star rated, and I'm being rewarded by taking $30,000 quarterly. <laughs> right. Instead of, <laughs> right. Instead of some other bigger number. Right. It doesn't mean it doesn't that's, feel like that's absurd. Yeah, no. She's like, well, it could be worse. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, right. Like that shouldn't be the bar. That, yeah, right? Like, like, like a yeah, win right. shouldn't be less painful than right. it could have possibly been. Right. Right. You know, so I push forward, we have our lab license now and our CLIA waiver. So where you can do streps, strep, HIV testing, um, flu testing, um, you know, we, it is just been, it's been an, 
an exhilarating, exciting adventure. And that's why I think being here, I wasn't sure why, what I could actually give to you guys. Um, if I could give anything, it's telling people in my position that had their head in the sand, get out there and do what you do because you're doing it right, but just put it in a way that's, that's meaningful with the care plans. Have a voice and advocate for yourself to your local, you know, officials and PPA and PPCN and NCPA because we all want the same thing. We want better patient outcomes, but we want our profession to get its just due. Um, so I wasn't sure why I was here. But I'm, happy. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the last 30 minutes have explained very clearly why you're here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you went from basically going, look, I, I, I used to kind of lick stick and peel at least kind of, you still also did all of that stuff in the community like you're talking about, but understood, Hey, I need to get paid for this now if I'm going to keep doing it. And, and you just said enough, enough, I got to get involved. Like there's, right. That's why you're here. Well, so not <laughs> so, only that, you, so. you you said I need to get involved. Um, you did get involved. Yeah. You crushed the number of COVID vaccines in your your community. Yeah. And you're and, meeting with senators and rubbing right. elbows with all those guys. And now, your so. peers recognized you as a next generation <laughs> pharmacy finalist. So yeah, I think. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that's another that's another accolade. I forgot uh, to I forgot to mention. Yeah, and that. I just I just got a honoree for APHA something. There also. we go. All right. It's shocking. I just found out. Why, why are you is, here, Ed? You know, <laughs> like, why? tell Jeff Key that I'm very sorry for messaging him on, on LinkedIn as much as I did <laughs> during COVID. No, 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 no. But no. I'm telling you, he gave me answers and I, I, that was very generous of him. Um, you know, and that's where feeling connected, connected to you guys and, and wanting our, the success of our profession is, is, it's really special, you know? And we don't exist without it. We really yeah, don't. I mean, we don't have a job. Really, you know, and, you know, a lot of, I mean, Jeff got a lot of messages through COVID. Mark got a lot of messages. I got a ton. Those are the messages. The things we built during the last 18 months weren't on our, our plans prior to that, right? We had different types of things that we were going to build and COVID changed all of that. And it was because of pharmacists like you and Rannon and Mark and Scott Pace sending us messages at two in the morning going, I'm dying. I need to be able to do this. And that's because that's why we did those things, right? So if it wasn't for you sending Jeff LinkedIn messages, some of the features <laughs> that 5,000 pharmacies use today probably didn't get built. We, um, that was a process, yeah. but we got them done. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Now we had uh, multiple the first thing I think, um, and not to, uh, we've probably beat this drum too much, but the first thing that Josh and Jeff, and they're in charge of building the stuff, I, I, I get to take it to the market, um, was really dealing with the fact that no one's going home till 2 a.m., right? That was one of the things that, that how do yeah. you get people to go home earlier <laughs> and pay less overhead um, in order to do all of this stuff? But none of us went home until 2 a.m. Yeah. And I was up at four defrosting vaccine. Right. What you did was just as important as me waking up at 4 a.m. because we got it done. I mean, look what community pharmacists did around this this country to get it done. Um, you know, and it 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 took a network of of people that really care. And you know, we talk about the We Care Network. You know, for PPCN and you know. It, it's because we really do care. Um, how can we care about our communities 
in a way that's meaningful. And we're getting those tools. And it's constantly evolving. It's not going to happen overnight. But more dialogues that we have, the more refined it's going to be and the easier it's going to be. I mean, sometimes I'm like, oh, I have to do another MME care plan. Uh, <laughs> you know, and it's, yeah. and I halfway joke, but I'm like, sometimes it has to be done at, you know, 10 o'clock at night, but it, it gets done. Um, but it's more meaningful now. You know, I have a way of saying, okay, your MME is really high. I need to really do a, you know, Narcan. Right. Um, you know, it's, it's a good feeling. So what do you think is, uh, so it sounds like kind of a little bit of what's next immediate future for you is, is operationalizing this FQHC, uh, relationship you, you've kind of steered right. into with all of this. So we want it to be like a really robust pilot program and try to hit our, you know, hit the marks within three months so that we can actually translate that to a payable model. So the first three months is us showing what we can do. Okay. All right. Um, and I think we could make a big impact in that amount of time. Um, what's nice about it is um, Bridget McGivern, who is the CEO of the, the um, FQHC, knows that this is can this can be big, in that the Department of Health is watching us right now. Her she has connections with other FQHCs that she really thinks that this is going to benefit, mm -hmm. and how this is going to benefit her patients. So they get funded by, you know, hitting their metrics and then the money that comes back to them needs to be reinvested in their community. So it could be reinvested in a multitude of different ways. And she's a grant writer. So we're looking at ways of maybe, Hey, wouldn't it be cool to invest in technology for packaging, shift everybody from just sync to like, we do have a Pac-Man right now, but maybe invest some money in each patient so they get packaged. Right. Pay for see. that packaging to be done. So if we get them from maybe we are, I think our sync patients are like 90, 95%. Our sync pay, our sync with the packaging is up to like 99%. Wouldn't it be neat to see that translation and what that would mean? And if we could look at hospitalizations, ER visits, and how we can reduce those, how we can get their A1Cs under control, their compliance to um, blood pressure and cholesterol medications. So if we could put, do this in a way that the Department of Health can look at it and say, this means a lot. Um, they can push that to the CDC. Meanwhile, if it works out well, Bridget's is like, I think once we're done with this and we get things tweaked, we can roll this out to a lot of my other contacts because this can be really big because she's like, I like the fact that you are part of the community. You get into those little nooks and crannies of those patients' lives to, to really see where things are going astray. And I said, well, all right, let's Let's look at this example. We have a patient that's diabetic and we have her on our sync program and we got a prescription for 30 days of lisinopril. We filled it for 10 to get to sync. I needed a new prescription for 30. Your staff couldn't understand why I needed to okay. DC the 20 tablets yeah. and have a new one for 30. She's like, well, can you explain to me why? I'm like, because we get everybody on sync. We can manage and monitor them monthly to make sure they're adherent so we can make sure that when the doctor's making clinical decisions, it's not out of forgetfulness. You know, we, are, we can make sure that medications are being picked up every 30 days and that they're clinically a little bit more sound. Well, that makes a lot of sense. I'm like, okay, well, not, let your staff know. Yeah. If don't I'm don't hate me. Out of the norm. <laughs> right, 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 right. Uh, that makes sense.
that makes a ton yeah, of sense. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and beyond that, you know, having that conversation with the patient, you know, like, oh, hey, do you need your lisinopril? And if they say no, then you have a really meaningful conversation about why not, right? And that's the thing that a lot of people miss about sync is it's not just convenience for the patient. It's about using the, the, the non, the indicators about when do I need to have a different conversation with them? And it's huge, right? Just solving problems is it's built into MedSync. You know, it could be something as simple as I'm forgetting it. It could be something as complicated as I'm getting, I have a cough and I started around the time. Like, okay, well, if that happens, you need to tell me so I can tell somebody else. We can make those changes. And it becomes like, wow, okay, that makes sense. But um, that MedSync, you know, my biggest frustration sometimes is when I get a prescription back, they don't need it this month. I need to be coming over to that counter. I need to know why. So I'll make a right. phone call, you know, and that's just staff buy-in. I mean, we're mm -hmm. all busy. Right. I think we're all under the gun because of lack of manpower right now. But we can't give up on, we can't give up on what we are defined as. Um, we kind of keep, have to, we have to toe that line. Um, you know, so I'll make that phone call. You know, it's all good, but, um, you know, sync is, is very powerful if it's done the right way. Right. This is one of the, you know, so one of the things that Jeff and I were kind of talking about with, you know, between MedSync and messaging and, you know, we're about to roll out a new feature for messaging yeah. patients for MedSync. That'll be really, really cool because all of that will come back in. And if they say, I don't need, you know, my lisinopril or metoprol this month, then you can call them with a very targeted, Hey, what's going on? far more interesting than just saying, Hey, we're going to get your meds ready for this month. What do you need? Different kind of questions. But you know, like right. one of the dreams is being able to take that and combine it with say like a network and PPCN where you don't have to worry. You want to be able to go to the payers and say, Hey, look, we have these results that when you look at my patients in my community on MedSync, they're cost far less than your patients that aren't visiting my pharmacy they don't have the total cost of care that your others have let's not talk about dir fees let's talk about putting us in a preferred network where the pharmacies the local community pharmacies are getting paid more to manage those patients because it's worth a ton more to the the actual health plan i mean that's a couple years down the road hopefully not but that's our that's where, that's where we want to be able to push it's going right well the spotlight is on all of us right mm -hmm. now so it's our time to really take the spotlight and make sure it doesn't deter from us. We need to keep it on us, you know, and like we it. just need to keep on, you know, keep on pushing forward and advocate and talk, advocate and talk, talk to your patients about what you're doing so that they can tell their patient, you know, their friends and their neighbors, you know, yeah. right now we are getting a ton of people transferring to our pharmacy, probably at the most difficult time because, you know, we're going booster heavy, mm. you know, the looming, uh, you know, Pfizer approval of their antivirals coming out. We're doing testing now. I mean, there's so much going on that, you know, we just need to make sure that we, we are steadfast in our message. Um, you know, it, it is the most exciting and the most exhausting time so professionally. You, I, I mean, it's, it's a great it's way exhausting. to put it. Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, you, you, you guys did a ton of COVID vaccines. How many of those people that you gave a vaccine that didn't previously come to your pharmacy are now coming to your pharmacy? A, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the building that we're in, we actually, we own the building and 
Um, we had a lacrosse store that's next to us that, you know, didn't weather through COVID that well. So um, their lease is up and we're going to be taking that over to make it a COVID pop-up clinic daily type of thing. Oh, nice. Because I don't really, you know, want to navigate having to to do, you know, a state board of pharmacy remodel and, and everything. Um, so we can do a pop-up clinic. The vaccine has to go back and forth, you know, from the pharmacy to them and back. Mm. And I have to have, you know, a pharmacist there with, you know, a, you know, a modest staff, but we'll be able to ramp up daily to like maybe 80 a day or more. Um, we brought in a couple of nurses just so that we can keep pharmacy efficiencies going the way they are. And we can, you know, I've been, our clinics used to be from eight to like five. Um, I've been doing clinics at the high school, like from nine to noon. And I've just been trying to to give myself a little bit of a breather. Mm -hmm. And I'm really surprised because I mean, I'm seeing a lot of places like a lot of people coming in from Rite Aid, CVS, some of the health networks coming to us. I did since we did all this, I did 20, 21 yellow fever vaccinations. Wow. A couple of weeks ago. Really? Um, I think I go through a box of Shingrix a week now. Um, it, it is just, it is just a vaccination central. Um, you know, and the thing is, when that all happened too, we're like, we have a lot of shots going to a lot of different arms. We need to make sure everything, so we have everything color coded, chairs color coded. People are, so we are like, people think we're neurotic because we ask them when they come in. When they sit down, when were they immunizing? Are you here for Moderna? You're here for Moderna. I see you're here for Moderna. How are your first Moderna shots? <laughs> but we're making sure that we get the right vaccination into the right arms. Right. Um, at night, we close down the store at six and we do our peds then just because it's calmer. Um, yeah. It's a little bit easier translation for our kids. That makes sense. Um, you know, if there is one, you know, that is upset it's a little bit more isolated than upsetting a whole bunch of people. Um, you know, so that's been working out pretty well. Uh, we had a night for special needs kids. So we had, you know, some autistic children and, you know, mm. children with down and that worked out really well too. And I think the parents really appreciate it. Parents are great. They really bought into what we were trying to do and why, because first thing is like, I, I don't have any appointments. There's no appointments all day. I'm like, there's a reason. A lot of vaccinations going on. We want to make sure the kids are all safe and taken care of in an isolated, controllable environment. And they're like, wow, that makes sense. Um, but you have to talk and you have to explain, you know? Right. What was your Singrix and yellow fever and other vaccinations? How strong were they before? Or strong might be the bad word, but like, like, well, how, yellow. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yellow fever is we would do mission trips like in the summers and stuff. Well, no travel with COVID. So, sure, you know, I might go through a box in, you know, six months, eight months, which is a box of five. Right. So now I did those and I did one through another box of fives this past week. So, um, shingles, like I said, it's a box of 20, like 20 or 25 a week now wow. where a box would last about a month, maybe three weeks. Pre pre COVID. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those, it's crazy. You like, you have like all these things and you did so like, you just did such a good job with COVID vaccines that now everybody's going to go like, oh, I need a vaccine. I'm going to go there. It's, you know, it's crazy. COVID was bad, but it pushed us ahead like five years in clinical skills. Well, for like uh, our COVID clinics were, they were a joyful event. 
I mean, you have to remember, it's the first time people were seeing each other in how long? That's true. Right. So, you know, a lot of anxiety going on, though. So some, a lot of emotions, a lot of crying and tears of joy. A little bit of hope. A lot, yeah. yeah, a little bit of hope. A lot of hope, seeing yep. family. A lot of tears of angst and concern um, and being scared because it was a relatively new vaccine that hadn't been improved yet. Um, but like these last clinics that we did our boosters, we tied that in with pharmacogenomics, believe it or not. Um, so we added to our questionnaire, um, the pharmacogenomics questions, like, are you multiple medications? Have you had a severe allergic reaction to any medication? Which if they got approved, we were able to do a cheek swab right there. So I think we did like 50 pharmacogenomics tests at one of our events. Um, so, I mean, there's ways of tying things together. Yeah. Um, since I have them there sitting for 15 minutes, have a conversation. You figured that out. Yeah. It's funny. So when, not ideally, but I I went, when I got my booster, um, the only appointment that I could get in my area was at a, was at a chain. Uh, my, my local independent was like, dude, I'm booked for like three weeks. I was like, okay, I, I needed to get my booster. So I went and I walked in and it looked like a traffic accident in this place, right? Like just the drive through is eight cars deep in both lanes the phones are talking. If you know what chain that is, you know. <laughs> um, so the phones are just like, ah, ah, and like they have one pharmacist. He's they are. vaccinating, verifying, yeah. Yeah. and like, he came out, stuck me. He's like, hang out here for like fifteen minutes, and went back. And you're like, that doesn't feel like a healthcare setting, right? When you're no. you're talking about like having a clinic, Sounds like with a war like, zone. Yeah, it, it felt like I was like, I'm glad I know what I'm supposed to do, and it wasn't a knock against his pharmacist, right? Like it right. was like 9 a.m. and he was already exhausted for the day. No, it's but, bad. I yeah. mean, it's bad for all of us. Mm-hmm. I mean, chain and independent alike. I mean, we have all egg timers around the store, you know, that we feel like one of those hairdressers, you know, <laughs> turn on 15 <laughs> minutes for a perm and thing. Um, right. But yeah, we. We um, we hold on to their COVID card. We put it underneath their timer. We mm. turn it, and then, you know, when it dings, we know we give them pull out the card. We go out and give it to them. Um, but it's it's hard. We I when my new, when patients are coming into me, whether they're new or my current patients, it's always a conversation like you need to just be on top of us as much as I'm on top of you. We need to communicate really well right now because it's bumpy. There's a lot more COVID vaccinations. A lot of people don't want to go to the clinics. They want to come in store, which is making it, it's making it logistically hard. Um, so I'm just honest. The transfers end with prescriptions. I'm like, I am about giving you 100% of total committed care. Right now with all the COVID vaccinations, we just need to be, we need to help each other through this. And I think they, they appreciate that, you know? Right. I'm human. I and I want to give them the best care. They know that because I'm being sincere, but they're also helping me through the process. Yeah. So I think you know I'm having their back. They're having mine. And expectation setting is huge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it makes a total. Just being upfront and honest with people makes a ton of sense, right? Especially when you're telling them, "Hey, I'm going to give you my undivided attention for whatever you need. It's just going to take me a little time." It reminds me when I was younger and. It, this doctor, like my mom went to him, my my grandma went to this guy. He probably treated 10 or 12 people in my family over the course of 50 years or so. But I still remember when he walked in, he had the sign on the desk and it said, yes, I'm running late. And it's because I spend as much time as each of my patients needs. 
And the dude was always late. He was like the nicest doctor ever. Always late. At least 20 minutes. And you just, you knew because if the person in front of you needed something, he was going to spend the time to do it. And that's what you want, right? Like, I don't care that he was late. He told me he was going to be late. And he was honest about it. And I got amazing if, care. If you know the person, if you know the person, you give them better care. If you're looking at lab values, you're missing the mark. You, get, you, you have to marry the person to the labs or it's not going to work. You really do. I mean, I, it's not a, a good approach to healthcare if you're not going to value the person, who they are, what their quality of life measures are, social determinants of health. I mean, all these things play into it, not just a piece of paper with lab values. I had one person that came in um, at the very, very beginning of COVID, and he was gray. Um, tachycardic. Um, we sat him down, um, and we we took his vitals. We took his blood pressure, his heart rate. We did his um, pulse ox. We took his sugars. Um, his heart rate was way out of control. Um, we ended up sending him out to the ER um, because what had happened: the doctor actually increased his his thyroid dose instead of decreasing it. Well, the MA. The MA misread it, and um, he ended up having to get a cardioversion, and he's doing great now. But he knows that if I see a patient coming in and they're struggling, I'm not going to let them out the door. Mm. Um, we're going to sit them down and do what we need to do to figure things out, um, you know. And we did, and it's those moments that just keep on pushing me to do and give more and take the time, or you're going to miss those things. Um, what would have been neat, though, is to be able to look at those lab values. Yeah, you know, right. to have a bird's eye view and say, "Hey, um, nah, I think this dose is really off." Uh, we could have probably made a better clinical decision quicker if we had that information. Right. Um, you know, so. and I think that's next. You know, we've we've spent a lot of time over the last couple of years talking to HIEs and EHRs about you know really being able to share data and it's always been, yeah, we want to, but there's not really a clear way of how to do it. Um, and now with the, the e-care plan standard, you know, being able to send that, not only the e-care plan, but the actual fire technology behind it is being kind of disseminated all over. We're getting close to being able to do that. So, well, bear with me because Bridget McGivern, the CEO of the FQHC is a grant writer. Mm -hmm. So she's wanting to do a piece that's technology-based. Wouldn't it be neat? Yeah, we want to look at technology for packaging, but wouldn't it be neat if we could figure a way where she could pull some grant money in to see if that could be created in some way that's meaningful mm -hmm. just so that we could prove things to, you know, where the value is and how this could be important. Um, I don't know if that means anything, you know, as far as, Mm -hmm. grant money or whatnot but i it's just it's important i think yeah it, there's definitely a couple of people that are that are working on kind of grants and funding to be able to send data either not either both from us to an hie and pull data back in from an hie to pioneer um and you know once we do that we'll have a model for how to do it and that's super powerful it's something that you know we've the only time pharmacy ever gets to see lab data is if they're in a hospital and they can look in the EHR. Right. Um, and it's just super powerful to be able to do that. But that's another mess. I mean, I look at mm -hmm. I do a med reconciliation from the hospital. They end up going into the hospital 
on a totally wrong med list to begin with. Mm-hmm. The med list for that they're getting is wrong. Yeah. They're put in the hospital on the wrong meds. They're being discharged on a totally antiquated med list that was wrong from the, the admission. It, it, it is, it's disastrous. I mean, it's like, you know, every person's a puzzle. I'm looking at this med list. I'm like, it's, it's overcomplicated. You know, let's look back at the original. Let's look at back what they're admitted on. And then let's look at what they're being discharged on and find out where, you know, well, they were discharged, put on this medication that was DC'd by the family doctor because of this, but now they're back on it. So, you know, those med reconciliations, being part of that and doing that with the doctor's office on discharge is kind of, you know, that's what I'm really looking forward to with the FQHC and all that too. So, yeah, I mean, back when, you know, I, I worked in renal care before this, you know, and we would talk, my, my whole team was, we didn't even dispense a drug, right? All our team was just med management. Mm-hmm. And probably 80% of our value was because we knew all of their med lists that before they went in the hospital, we knew they were what they were and they were correct. When they went in the hospital, we would do another med rec with them and, and or their dialysis unit and just kept them on the correct medication. That's just that's huge. where it should be. Right. Yeah. And that also, if you if you need to come back and figure out, you know, why you're on the show. <laughs> Come back and watch your own, and then you kind of see, you get you get to kind of see why you're here. <laughs> well, Ed, man, thanks so much for All joining right. today. Thank you. Um, thanks for everything you're doing, and uh, we'll catch you, catch you again. I appreciate it, guys. Bye, everybody. Thank you for watching the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, subscribe, and follow us wherever you get your podcast. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts to help us reach more pharmacy professionals like you.